Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. When historian Jean Felzer was shown a photograph of a Chinese girl for sale in a caged brothel in San Francisco in the 1870s, the image made Felzer question her own assumptions about California's claim to have entered the Union as a free state that would not tolerate slavery. Felzer traveled the state for seven years, excavating accounts of black enslavement, indigenous, Asian, and immigrant enslavement and concluded the story of California is a history of uninterrupted human bondage. We learn why Felser says California was and is a slave state. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. After historian Jeannie Felser spent seven years traveling up and down California, gathering accounts, some firsthand and even recent, of those who were enslaved here, Felser says she felt like she'd never truly lived here. In beautiful, diverse California, which entered the Union as a free state in 1850, Felser found stories of Black Americans turned over to plantation owners after the Civil War, indigenous people bought and sold into forced labor or prostitution, Asians sex-trafficked and exploited. Her research gives lie to California's legacy as a state that claimed it would not tolerate slavery, but it also offers hope, shining a light on resistance and rebellion. Felser's new book is California, a Slave State, and she joins me now. Welcome to Forum, Jean. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you. The title of your book, California, a Slave State, it conveys something essential, I think, about your thesis that the California not just was, but still is in many respects, a slave state. I mean, one of the first stories you share is about abuse and human trafficking in parts of today's cannabis industry. And, and do you want to tell that story? I should warn listeners, it is a very disturbing story and that they may hear others throughout the hour given today's subject matter. But could you tell us a little bit about that story and, and why it struck you? Thank you. Yes. This is a harsh story. It was a harsh story to uncover. It's a harsh story to tell and to listen to. But it's also a story of resistance. So I hope right from the get-go, we can keep that in mind. Had I given a subtitle to this book, it would be The History of Slavery and Slave Revolt in California 
So as we listen to this ragged history, I, I hope that our listeners can keep in mind that at every single moment of human bondage in California, there was revolt. And it starts with the story you asked me about. In 2015, an article appeared in the Eureka Times Standard. A 15-year-old girl had escaped from slavery at a cannabis grow in Lake County. She, had, she was homeless. She, had, she was a runaway traveling the streets of Hollywood, and two men pick her up. They travel with her up the length of the state, up to Lake County, which is an inland hot county in Northern California. They take her and they lock her in a metal crate. It was a tool crate. They drill two holes in the crate, one to prod her, and the other to hose her down. She is kept in the crate for, I believe, eight months. She is only let out to sexually service the growers and to trim the buds of the cannabis plants in the late summer and early fall. One day, they take her down to Sacramento. They're going shopping, and they leave her in a motel room. This 15-year-old girl spots a telephone in the, hotel, in the motel room, and the minute the men leave, she dials 911 and frees herself. <laughs> that story jolted me. I spend a great deal of my time north of Lake County in Humboldt County, and Although Humboldt is part of the Emerald Triangle of marijuana production, known globally for, for pot, I had no idea that this was happening so close to where I spend so much time working, reading, and sometimes teaching by Zoom. Yeah. And you were jolted also just a few years before you learned that horrific story by a photograph from the 1870s of a Chinese girl in a cage in a brothel in San Francisco. And the similarities are hard to miss here. Um, I don't know if you want to just talk a little bit about that moment too and, and what it made you question. Nina, that's the other bookend of what compelled me to look into this history. This is a photograph of an Asian girl, a Chinese girl, and she's behind a wire cage, staring out, holding a scroll. She looks very young. She looks 12 to 14. Her story is that she would have been kidnapped in China or perhaps sold by destitute families or a destitute village. After the gold rush, there were very few women in California except for Native American women. And at the time, the genocide of Native Americans 
is torching through California as gold miners came out to California and all of the merchants, the hotel workers, the restaurant workers who supported the gold rush, they were mainly men and they wanted women. They wanted women for domestic work. They wanted women servants. They wanted women for sex and companionship. Some of them wanted families. And it starts a trade in Chinese girls. Chinese men come to California free. The notion of coolies, enslaved Chinese people in California is a myth. Chinese men chose to come to California for the gold rush. They voluntarily signed contracts to work on the, on the uh, railroad, the transcontinental railroad. It's a gendered story. Chinese girls were kidnapped from the ports of Guangdong, Canton, and shipped to San Francisco. Sometimes they were shipped in padded crates. They were sold on the docks in San Francisco. This little girl, if she hadn't been sold on the docks in San Francisco, would have been taken to a room in Chinatown. It was called the Queen's Room. It was run by a Tong. The Tong was called the Hip Yi Tong, and it was the Tong for enslaved prostitution. The girls were stripped, inspected, often auctioned. A 16-year-old girl was sold for about $1,600 at the time. And even babies were kidnapped, girl babies, mm -hmm. and sold for $30, raised to go into the trade. On Jackson Street in San Francisco, which would flow into and become Grant Avenue, the girls were kept in caged brothels. The little girl whose photograph I looked at and stared at over and over again, I have two daughters, I have women students, and obviously women friends. And I looked at this picture of this girl with this blank, frightened stare, staring outside a cage. Jackson, at, Jackson Street was lined with caged brothels. She would be forced to solicit men as they wandered by. A curtain would be drawn. She would service the customers who were from all over San Francisco, white merchants, miners. Um, every, her customers, her clients yeah. were from every ethnicity. After she serviced the man, her owner, the madam or the pimp would collect the money, then they would draw the curtain and she would be forced to service another, another customer. I read that these girls yeah. serviced up to 20 customers a day. Just another just horrific story about what occurred in, in California. And, you know, as I say, your two stories, they knit the past and present together. So how you talk about and feel that it persists. I think the other thing that I was struck by in reading about these two very difficult stories to absorb um, 
is the fact that you operate with maybe a definition of slavery that is more expansive than one that we have traditionally been taught, which is more the enslavement of Africans. So can you just talk a little bit about how you describe slavery in California, how you define it? Yes. the There are commonalities with the slavery that we thought we knew with the North-South slavery of plantation workers or people who worked in the big houses as servants, forced servants and cooks, nannies on the plantation. There are commonalities, but there are things about slavery in California that are also unique. Here's how I define slavery. And here are the commonalities. Slavery is always violent. No one chooses to be enslaved. In California, with both Native Americans and African Americans and the Chinese girls, and now with modern human trafficking, slaves were chattel. Chattel is generally defined as a human being who is bought and sold. California had debt peons, which it inherited from Mexico. California was a colony of Spain, Russia, Mexico, the United States. And each of these empire countries brought with them their own traditions of slavery. With Mexico came the debt peons from the ranches and from the silver mines in Mexico and Peru. They were, slavery involves the ownership of one's labor and of one's body. We're talking with historian Jeannie Felser. Her new book is California, a Slave State. And we're talking about slavery in California and the many forms it took. You can join the conversation with your questions for Jeannie Felser at 866-733-6786 by posting them on social media. We're at KQED Forum or by emailing them to forum at kqed.org. More after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Historian Jeannie Felser does not say California was a slave state. She says California was and is a slave state. And this hour, we're learning why and hearing from you. How were you taught California history? Did you learn about slavery in the state? Is your own personal or family history affected by slavery in California? 
does this make you think differently about California or its reputation as a progressive, welcoming state? You can email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org. Post them on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, threads at KQED Forum. You can call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, and just share your reflections as you observe some of these very difficult stories that uh, Jean Felser excavated over her time traveling throughout the state. You know, Jeannie, there is something that really does come through in reading your book, which is you point out a few times that California, you know, it's known as a progressive state. It's it's known as a welcoming state, a diverse state, and one that celebrates its diversity now, even as you say, enslavement persists. And it can be hard to square that um, with an identity as a slave state. And and I'm just wondering if if you did go through that process, if you have felt some sense of betrayal, maybe? Absolutely. I was born in Los Angeles. I went through the public school system. I went to Hamilton High in Los Angeles. I then went to Berkeley for my BA and MA. And I I feel betrayed by the, I feel that I was unschooled. I was Hmm. uneducated. I majored in a then version of American studies and worked with the best. And I learned so much. I didn't know that plantation owners marched their slaves across the plains or through the jungles of Panama to bring enslaved people to California for the gold rush. I didn't know that there were ads for the purchase and sale of enslaved African-Americans in the new major California newspapers to be bought and sold. African-Americans were advertised for about $400 to be bought and sold. I would have expected and had seen such ads in Louisiana newspapers and Alabama newspapers. I didn't expect to find them in Sacramento newspapers. I didn't, I didn't know that at the missions and in California with the old fourth grade mission projects where kids build missions out of sugar cubes, um, I didn't know that there were organized slave revolts at the missions in California and that the slave revolts brought in a serious, serious way, brought the end to the mission system in California. I didn't know that missions were burned. My first full-time teaching job was at UC San Diego. And I didn't know that the mission where tourists went, where I went to weddings, I didn't know that the Kumeyaay people, the Kumeyaay Indians, swept down from the mesas above San Diego and from the coast, the coastal clans and swept into Mission San Diego de Acala and torched the mission, burned it to the ground, murdered the head priest who had captured them, um, who controlled the Spanish um, army, the Spanish soldiers, who would rope the Kumeyaay and 
force them to come into the mission, um, pulling them by their necks. I didn't know that the Kumeyaay swept down, burned the mission, and freed all of their people, never to return. I didn't know that there was at San Quentin Prison, where the carceral state in California was born. I didn't know that there were factories in San Quentin. I also didn't know that there was a massive prison strike, very much like the strikes in, in New York and, and at Attica, where 1,000 prisoners refused to be brutalized, tortured, and work for free to support the new agriculture. Every place I turned, I felt a sense of betrayal. I love California. I spend a great deal of my time here. I went to Berkeley and taught here. And I was jolted and troubled and angry. But I also didn't know that in each of these places, there were organized slave revolts, the strikes, the burning of the missions. So that part conformed to my sense of California's spirit as my rebel soul hmm. was some way soothed and encouraged especially in this day and age where so much resistance happened. Yes. I also appreciated your point about how survival itself, surviving those horrors is a form of resistance and the way that people did that. Um, I'm going to go to caller Anne in San Jose, who's on the line. Anne, thanks so much for calling. Thank you for uh, taking my call. I just wanted to underscore and confirm what the speaker has been talking about, especially the notion that it is not of the past, um, but trafficking and slavery is very much a present day situation. I have loved ones who are um, innocent victims um, born into uh, this, I guess, supposed trade and life actually and it's the um it's actually supported by systemic uh abuses loopholes and the community at large mm. who um do not actually understand what the characteristics of people who engage in slavery and the victims who are enslaved or uh, what they look like I, and i'm so sorry to hear that and appreciate you calling in to share that. You know, Jean, I guess one of the other things related to what we were talking about just a moment before around this sense of betrayal, given California's reputation, I, I wonder if you are suggesting that it goes further in the sense that its reputation almost makes it less likely for us to see the evidence of it around us, which may also be what Anne is referring to, you know, the, the things that we don't look for because we, we make certain assumptions about what California is. I think that, well, first of all, Anne, that is a really hard story to hear, and I honor your sharing it, because part of what Nina is saying is that we 
don't see and we don't listen to what's around us. And I'm deeply sorry for the pain and the pain in your family. Um, California passed a constitution in 1849 that said it would not tolerate slavery. We need to keep in mind that tolerate is not a legal standard. A loophole was built into California's constitution. In terms of human trafficking or modern slavery, unfortunately, we're surrounded by it. California is one of the top three markets for human trafficking in the United States. And we do need to notice its signs so that we can form essentially a modern abolitionist movement. There is one um, to free people. When we walk into a motel room and we see women changing the sheets, there's a very strong chance that some of them may be trafficked. If we see kids standing by the freeway off ramps across the country, selling flowers, nearby is someone watching them. These kids are likely trafficked. There are people being trafficked from the detention centers at the border who will perhaps even sign some kind of a sham contract and put themselves into lifelong debt, that slavery is illegal. And there are mm. children who are trafficked out of foster care. Yeah. If we see girls wandering at truck stops, they are likely being trafficked. Right now, sex trafficking is happening through escort agencies. So some of it is not street trafficking, what used to be called the track. If a pimp sent a girl out to walk the track, we would see her soliciting from cars. That's happening less and less because of social media and escort agencies are selling girls and, and men too online. If we walk through downtown LA or downtown San Francisco or El Monte in Southern LA and we see razor wire over windows, it's likely that there are people held captive inside like the Thai families who were held captive for seven years working in a sweatshop in El Monte until they escaped and sent a map to the police on how to free them. I think that one thing that one of the trafficked women who I met with for days and days and really taught me was how to notice human trafficking. One way is by tattoos. There are certain tattoos such as a crown that marks a, a woman as owned by this regal pimp. Right now, girls are showing up at, and noticed by police officers and healthcare workers with barcodes tattooed across their necks. We need to listen to women like Anne, and we need to open our eyes, and we need to be able to ask people, are they okay? Mm. 
We're talking with Jeannie Felser. Her new book is California, A Slave State. She's a lifelong Californian, teaches American studies at the University of Delaware, dividing her time between Humboldt County and, and D.C. And her previous books include Driven Out, The Forgotten War Against Chinese Americans. Felser says California as a slave state is not the California most people know. And we're wondering, listeners, if you were taught any of this history if your own personal or family history is affected by slavery in California, as caller Anne has shared, does this make you think differently about California or its reputation? And what are your thoughts, too, in terms of what we do about it now? 866-733-6786. Email address forum at kqed.org, and we're at KQED Forum on social. Let me go to caller Antonio next in Santa Clara. Antonio, you're on. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I was raised by my parents were a priest and a nun, and they left um, it, during the, uh, you know, 60s, 70s movement. There was a large movement of uh, people who left the clergy and the nunhood. Um, and I was raised in Jesuit schools. Uh, well, I should say educated, not raised. Uh here in the South Bay, and I went to Santa Clara University for a, a, a family vacation one year. We went uh, from San Diego all the way north along the El Camino Real, quote-unquote, and uh, I'm learning things today. I mean, the, the heat during the summer was so absolutely brutal, and to the... Uh, ingenuity of uh, Native Americans, those missions were built, but they were built so that the Padres could have a refuge, not so much for the Native Americans, because those were very much places of slavery, as we know now. But credit to Forum, I'm learning things that I never knew uh, about the missions. I'm learning them from this program. Thank you all. Oh, well, thank you, Antonio. And you know, thank you, Jeannie Felza, for bringing this to our attention. I, we talk about the human trafficking. You mentioned that it is supposed to be illegal, but that it still goes on. There was this period that Antonio is alluding to of state-sanctioned enslavement, like California's own Fugitive Slave Act of 1852 that was enabling the forced return of enslaved black people to their owners. And and you also talk about California settlers enslaving indigenous populations on a horrific scale. If you want to just tell us a little bit more about that history um, and what often people don't realize about the capture and sale of indigenous people allowed and even endorsed under the law. One of the ways that slavery works is how it's enforced, either by the gun, by the military, and by law. California's first law, after the laws that set up the state in 1850, was something I never knew about. It's called the Act for the Government and protection of the Indian, the Act for the Government and Protection of the Indian, 1850, our first law. And that law, right after the state constitution says that slavery will never be, quote, tolerated, that law legalized the capture, 
sale, and forced indenture of Native Americans. At the same time as California is being born as a state, the Indian genocide that Ben Madley talks about so thoroughly in his book, An American Genocide, genocide by the U.S. military is happening across the state. The plan is to torch indigenous villages, slaughter indigenous California men on the theory that they were warriors. And that sent out Native American women and children out as vagrants. And vagrants were, under this law for the protection of the Indian, allowed to be seized and sold under forced indentures. Men were allowed to be sold until they were 25. Girls were allowed to be kept until they were 35 years old. There was not a labor force in California. And this first law is intended to create a labor force out of the vagrants. We would call them now refugees. They were also people who were homeless now. Um, That law was intended to create a labor force out of vagrants, refugees, survivors of the genocides that are torching Indian villages across California. Well, the Sissner writes, as a Native American, my whole germline was negatively impacted by slavery and genocide throughout the entire country, not just California. No one talks about that. What a sad way to justify reparations for one race. I I do want to talk to you right after the break. We're coming up on one about how we atone, how we repair, how we reckon with all the different things that you have uncovered and how expansive it needs to be. Um, Again, Gene Felser's book is California, a slave state. And we're talking about slavery and the many forms it took and even continues to take, as she describes. It's a part of the state's history that many of us did not learn and may have trouble grappling with. And you're welcome to share that if that's what's happening for you. You can email forum at kqed.org or call us at 866-733-6786. You can find us on social at KQED Forum. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. California as a slave state is not the California 
Most people know. That's what my guest, Jean Felzer, writes in her history called California a Slave State. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your questions and comments about California's history of slavery. Maybe your own personal or family history is affected by this. Maybe it's making you think differently about California or ask questions about the history that you were taught. If you have thoughts about how California should address or make amends for this history, call us, 866-733-6786. Find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or threads. You can email forum at kqed.org. And let me go to caller Martin in San Francisco. Hi, Martin. You're on. Hi. Um, yeah, I was just sharing uh, what happened to me. I'm a 61-year-old person. I'm about to turn 61. And when I was 17, 16 years old, I was brought into America by a cousin of mine. And so this um, um, show right now, which I thank you for having it, has brought up a lot of different emotions again. Um, mm. I was uh, used uh, for slavery for a whole entire year um, and uh, working 17 hours a day, seven days a week for a whole year, not allowed to leave the building. And uh, uh, again, it's a very long story, but I just wanted to thank you for for this opportunity. Um, I never call. I'm kind of shy in a way, so I'm having a little bit of a uh, nervousness sharing this, but uh, also, again, mixed emotions. Um, I found out later that the person who, or my cousin who brought me to America, was actually involved with drug dealing with the owner of this restaurant, and his only way to pay him was to use me. And I managed to um, uh, share that, or I managed to ask the owner of the restaurant a year later um, um, to, you know, pay me that I needed some money to be sent to Mexico for my family, and. He literally slapped me across the face three times and threw me out on the street. And again, I was very not knowing where I was at the time uh, in the mountains of Felton, um, Santa Cruz area. But anyways, um, I just really want to thank you. And again, it has brought up a lot of emotions and um, memories. Um, oh. I'm, I'm in a better place now and I'm doing great, but uh, I'm having mixed emotions, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, well, Martin, I can't believe you're thanking us. I thank you for for being willing to share that story with us. It's such an incredibly powerful and important story to hear from you, um, Jeannie. Oh, Martin, um, thank you for having the courage to share this story because I think silences silences are always incredibly dangerous. And it's very important to hear the reality. For me, it was working with people and listening day after day to people who had been captured and seized or reading about them, searching for their stories and realizing I didn't know the state that I was living in, but also the courage of People like you, Martin, who demanded their wages, who demanded their freedom. Your story is similar to a story that's in the book of a Thai welder who is charmed into coming into California to work on the Bay Bridge. What an opportunity for a welder to rebuild the Bay Bridge after the earthquake. And as soon as he he lands at San Francisco Airport, He's thrown into a white van, driven down to Los Angeles, 
where he is forced to work in a restaurant and to build the restaurant. And he's sleeping on the floor. He's starving while he's working in the restaurant. He's assaulted. And he finally is noticed by a customer, a frequent customer to the restaurant who drives him to a Buddhist temple in Los Angeles that was in touch with one of the human trafficking organizations. And he is freed and he's given, I believe, about $60,000 in restoration for his unpaid labor and the opportunity to have visas for his family and to work on the Bay Bridge. So your story is in the most difficult way, not uncommon. So how do we, we begin to atone for our past when, when, as you write, the diversity of slaveries in California, that there is no single path to restoration and repair? I, I do want to talk about the effort uh, of California's reparations task force on the enslavement of Black Americans, but, but I'm just wondering more broadly before we get into some of the specific things that came out of that recently about how, how we deal with this, how we address this. I think the um, the reparations task force, and I'll be testifying um, in actually in early August to the San Francisco Reparations Commission, and the demands are run the gamut of what all humans need. The first thing that the reparations task force did was for the first time put a price tag on the fact that slavery costs. Um, Loss is real. It isn't just a question of people taking responsibility for what's happened in the state, but to acknowledge that slavery causes debts um, wherever it occurred that people who weren't allowed For example, at the San Francisco Mission, they weren't allowed to hunt for their own food, to fish right at San Francisco Bay. And that's what forced them, in many cases, to flee in reed canoes across San Francisco Bay was hunger. I think the economic and biological and financial realities of human bondage are finally being addressed. I think, I hope that the vision of how diverse human bondage has been in California will expand the focus of the Reparations Commission. I also think that the Reparations Commission has not adequately acknowledged that the people who are designated to receive funding under the reparations commissions are descendants of enslaved people. They are mainly descendants of enslaved people from the South, which is of course not to diminish the righteousness of payback, but also to see how many different groups of people, ethnicities over 250 years suffered from human bondage, and that the suffering was in terms of economics. It was in terms of education. Right now, 
we're beginning to talk about the fact that children are being found buried in some of the Native American cemeteries at the Indian boarding schools. And these kids never got an education. There were 12 Indian boarding schools in California. And as soon as a child got there, where they were, their native clothing was taken, they weren't allowed to speak their indigenous languages, they were renamed. And then they were sent to the quote, outing matron, for example, at Sherman School down in Riverside. And the outing matron sent the boys to work unpaid in the orange groves and the girls to work unpaid either in domestic servitude or in the new hotels. So all of these things were costs. But what I'm saying right now is that the loss of education was a deep cost to to our children who were growing up. There was no health care. Health care is built into the reparations commission by finally putting a dollar figure for the first time on reparations. The commission at one point in the past month suggested $8.1 billion, $8.1 billion. That's the state budget. And so how do we square that? How do we write that check? And to whom does it go? And at the very least, it needs to honor the descendants and pay, write those checks to the descendants of slavery in California from the Chinese American girls who fled from these caged brothels and were the women who started the Chinatowns across California in Marysville, Sacramento, Eureka. How do we find the descendants and how do we offer reparations. Reparations is broadly defined as justice that repairs, repair costs. You've talked about history as a kind of reparation. What what do you mean by that? I've, I've thought about, as a historian, someone in American studies, I've really tussled with and teach about the idea that culture and history and knowledge is a form of reparations. At the most practical level, we can't do anything. We can't change the laws. We can't insist that the checks be written unless we have that knowledge. But also it fills in the gaps in our own brains and our own spirits and souls of what the silences, the pain that the silences have caused us, the education we didn't get. So I think it's both in there in terms of information, in terms of thought and ideology, and will lead to dollars and freedom. We need to do what the El Monte workers did, is draw a map and point out where people are and make sure that they find their freedom. We're talking with the historian and author Jeannie Felser, who teaches American studies at the University of Delaware. Her new book is California, a Slave State. She's a lifelong Californian who splits her time between Humboldt County and, and D.C. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. 
Well, this listener writes, the key is that it is not state-sanctioned slavery like in the South, but a place where people can revolt, where a young girl can call 911 to escape from bondage. Uh, I think what this listener is suggesting is maybe California, a slave state, is not necessarily accurate in the sense that it is not the things that are happening, the horrors that we are hearing are not state-sanctioned. I'm not 100% certain, but I do wonder if you have had people quibble with you calling California still that it remains a slave state? Actually, I have not. Um, I think that by, of course, it was a very definite, deliberate decision to call this book California a Slave State because it is legal. It's been legalized in California that the act for the government and protection of the Indian legalized it when the National Fugitive Slave Act didn't work in California because enslaved African-Americans did not cross a state line for freedom. They were brought into California by their slave owners, and hence the slave owners were deemed called that they brought them in voluntarily And then people fled inside California. California had to write a new, its very own Fugitive Slave Act in 1852 because people fled within the state, not into the state. And now I think it's being legalized and institutionalized by the difficulty of people who are trafficked getting visas And people, in order to get visas, find themselves being trafficked. People are crossing the border. There are 11 million undocumented workers in the United States right now. 11 million undocumented workers. And one is we, California, but across the United States, are going on and on about the supply chain and not being able to get the stuff that we want. And yet there are people who are afraid to go to work or they're being forced to work without pay and they can't come forward because they don't have visas. So the lack of visas, in my view, the lack of green cards, not enough H2 visas for people to work legally in the fields are ways that we are legalizing slavery in California in the present day. Well, Amy writes, a few years ago, I chaperoned for my daughter's elementary school class on a tour of the California mission in Sonoma. I was mortified and still completely shocked that the official state parks employees giving tours to school groups are still saying that indigenous populations were happy to work at the California missions and receive so many benefits. How and why is it still possible today that California is not acknowledging the role that missions played in enslaving and killing tens of thousands of indigenous people? Uh, let me go to caller Rowana, Rowana in San Francisco. Hi, Rowana, you're on. Yes, good morning. Thank you. I guess it's good that I'm tailgating on that comment you just uh, read. It seems to me the Catholic Church should be, as well as our government, should be paying a huge amount out, given that they were, have been, and always have been, more than instrumental in this behavior. And they are phenomenally wealthy. 
think I've read that the Catholic Church worldwide is one of the wealthiest, uh, whatever you want to call them, in the world. Um, they're phenomenally wealthy, the Catholic Church. So shouldn't they be? Uh, Rowena, thanks. Uh, you can give a quick response to that, Jeannie, and we just have a minute or so, a minute and a half or so left. I think that the the issue of of what Rowana has said came up when um, Father Junipero Serra was sainted, one of the first Spaniards to be sainted. And a lot of the issues of what Rowena talks about, of what happened at the missions, began to come forward as during the sainthood of Junipero Serra and the costs. Um, Sarah was always aware that there was rape at the missions, and he kept writing letters back to the mother church in, in Mexico saying this whole plan to settle California through conversion and forced field labor supported by Spanish soldiers is going to fall apart mm. unless we can stop the rape. So the history that Rowena is talking about, the costs and the silences in current tours of the missions is ongoing. Yeah. You know, the listener writes, this whole subject is horrifying. Thank you for bringing it more to light. I think that is sort of what we all think and feel. And I wonder, so what gives you hope, Jean Felser, even as you have had to be so steeped in all of this? Um, you said the rebellion, the resistance, but what of actions now give you give you hope? I think, well, maybe I'm just genetically a hopeful person and um, have always been a, an activist from the civil rights movement, the anti-war movement, the student movement. And in this dire, dire summer, as we are watching the Supreme Court, take away rights to education and affirmative action. And Florida Five and seconds. Texas are banning books. That the resistance to that and the rebel spirits are what still give me hope. Jean Felser, California, a slave state. Thank you. Thank you, Susie Britton, for today's segment. Thank you, listeners. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.